What I learned and what I would share with anybody is, you know, write, write what you want to read and trust, trust your own voice, tr trust how you like to tell stories. And, and more than anything, you know, take, take chances. It's going to be those chances that are going to set you apart. Hey, and welcome back. We hope you've been enjoying season one of Mountain Gazette Library. While we take a break between seasons, we wanted to share interviews with past and present contributors to the magazine. This week, we have Peter Cray. Mountain Gazette Library is proudly presented by Steo. Designed, developed, and tested at the base of the Tetons in Jackson Hole, Wyoming, Steel was founded to inspire connection with the outdoors through premium technical apparel for the epic and everyday. Learn more at Steo.com. S-T-I-O.com. Steel. Let the outside in. This episode is also brought to you in association with Gordini. Gordini has been redefining the cold weather experience through outdoor gear and glove innovation for more than 66 years. Based in Vermont, family run and independently owned, Gordini has focused on the same mission since its founding in 1956 to keep you outside longer. From introducing the first ever down and leather ski mitts to launching the industry's first dual layer ski sock, Gordini believes that the future is in our hands and now, our feet. Innovation is always done in the spirit of progress. See what drives our product and our passion at Gordini.com. G-O-R-D-I-N-I.com. Peter Cray is an award-winning journalist and writer. His story, The Ghost Hotel, was featured in season one of the Mountain Gazette Library, and his novel, The God of Skiing, is available wherever you get your books. Peter shares his wisdom and insights on writing, skiing, and life. I was born at um, Andrews Air Force Base, and uh, my dad was in the Air Force, and um, that's how he paid for college. He was the first person in his family to go to college. Wow. And With then, the Air Force. Um, yeah, Air Force. And um, he got to rank of captain, and he was a navigator on the bombers, but then he, um, he would get migraines a lot. And it's interesting because my brother – inherited that from him i i don't really get migraines but i had one um like just the halo a couple days ago it's the first time i've had it in years um and so he got an honorable discharge and he moved us to denver where which i was you know i lived there since i was two and he went to law school and then he and all his buddies were volunteer ski patrollers at vale every weekend so we just, you know, every, I, I don't remember ever being asked in the winter, what do you want to do this weekend? You, your, your butt was in the back of that car going up to the mountains. And then Catherine, my lovely wife, she, um, she got transferred down here from Denver, gosh, 28 years ago. And, um, you know, I was like, Hey, wherever she's going, I'm going. And the funny thing is that I had no idea that there was a ski area here. I thought I was going to have to drive to, to, to Taos every weekend. Um, and Santa Fe, it turns out, and I, I feel like I'm from the Chamber of Commerce when I say this, um, Santa Fe has is the highest elevation for a capital city in the U.S. And we sit at 7,000 feet, and then we're up against the Sangre de Cristo Mountains. And the ski area there is the fifth highest base elevation in North America. The base chair is at 10,350 feet. And it's just this beautiful little hill with, you know, very friendly people. And, um, you know, not the longest terrain, but super challenging if you want it to be. Very cool. So it's been a nice, uh, is it, you know, a lot different than when you grew up where in 
I guess Denver area, um, you know, a ton of snow and you were doing that every single weekend. So that is that how that became such a big part of your life? Is that, you know, sort of how you fell in love with it? You know, it's, um, dad, dad loved skiing and, um, he also loved reading and writing and he would, he would read to us all the time and he'd read us Shakespeare. He'd read us Jack London and it was just his passion and they, they, they somehow I'm, I'm, I'm really lucky how for me, they've intertwined that, to, you know, to get to write about skiing and to, to get to be in the industry. Um, you know, I, I get to, I get to work with a lot of people who actually get paid to ski and I'm, you know, I'm happy with how I ski, but I don't ski on a level that somebody's going to pay me to do that, but to earn a living writing about skiing, it's, um, it's a pretty nice medium. You know, I, I can't say that I've written, read like a lot of ski um, stories, but I definitely reading your uh, ghost hotel story, um, you know, had these elements of just like the character development and how you made it feel like you were there and then hanging out with these group of people. You know, I hate to like compare it to another story, but it almost felt like um, the sun also rises like the Hemingway um, him and his friends gallivanting around Europe kind of thing, but just with skiing and different elements of it. But it felt very unique and interesting. And and I think for someone who maybe, you know, I didn't really grow up skiing and that wasn't like a big part of my life, but it felt like I was connected to the sport and I was connected to like the group of people that you were writing about um, in a really like wonderful way. So I'm curious well, how you were able to, you know, not only incorporate skiing and writing together, but make it so personal and so interesting, I guess, from, you know, just a neutral perspective of someone, a reader and really giving them the ability to be immersed in that world. I hundred percent appreciate the comparison. Um, you know, my favorite book of all time is movable feast and, and, um, and I just love that. It's just a story about living. Um, but it's also a story about writing, but what's, uh, what's, really fascinating about the ski the snow sports industry is because there's such specific places where you can actually do the sport this this sense of community travels really well and that you know i've been lucky enough to ski pretty much everywhere but australia and new zealand and i've gotten to the point where i'm never surprised if i if i'm in some foreign place and see somebody i know there it's just because that's and the I was thinking about um, how the, the season's coming up and there's a lot of people I haven't seen all summer, but I'm going to see them again as soon as the ski area opens. So that that community is always there. It's um, you know, it's going to kind of sound kind of corny to say it, but you know, just add snow, and and these people show up. And the other thing is that. Um, my wife has asked me sometimes, you know, how do you write about skiing every day? And it's because all these people have a story to tell that you get on a chairlift with somebody and you're going to hear something if you've never heard before. And so they all, and it's, there's, there's this other spoken word element of it that I'm, I'm kind of, I'm, I'm certainly a part of it, but I'm trying to, I'm trying to, I'm, I'm always encouraging more people to write about the sport because I think there's so many untold stories. And I have, um, 
and I, you know, I mentioned this in the next um, chapter of the Ghost Hotel, is behind me I've got a library that there's a shelf full of climbing books and there's a shelf full of surfing books. And I don't do either of those sports, but um, I, I love the writing about them. It, it, it gives me that sense that you were just mentioning that that you're well, you, you know, when somebody does it really well and you can picture yourself in, the, in that environment, sitting at the table with these people or, you know, riding the boat out to find some big waves. It's, um, I, and I'm always happy when I see more people writing about this sport, because I, I, I think there's a whole canon of literature that we're missing out on. Interesting. Yeah. I think, I mean, when you're writing about something like, um, the ghost hotel specifically when you're, it's, you know, multiple trips that you've taken to this area and, you know, the passage of time and sort of, um, you know, the different people that you meet along the way, even from, you know, people in these countries that maybe other writers or other people would find, you know, insignificant or irrelevant or, you know, just like the bag boy or something, you know, they find, I think you were able to add life to every single person that was there. Is that, does that come from, you know, your dad or is that like an element of, uh, compassion, I guess. And then the, the desire to want to tell everyone's story or at least hear everyone's story. Is that come from a young age or where did that begin? Uh, I'm trying to feel you. That's a great question. Um, you know, my father was a guy and he, he's no longer with us. Um, he, he had certainly come from a working class background, um, but he, he was just a kind person. And one of my favorite things about him was that whatever you were into, you know, if you were a biker or, um, you know, wh wh whatever, whatever your thing was, if you went all in on it, he had the ultimate respect for you. He just, if, you know, if, if somebody, if whatever you were passionate about, you were so passionate about it that it, it, it almost consumed you. He loved that about people. And so he was always, and he was always that person that, you know, he was always picking up new sports. He got into sailing, he got into rock climbing, um, he got into soaring. And um, he was just constantly interested in the world. But I also feel um, there's, a, there's a great Muhammad Ali quote. Um, not that I'm someone who goes out about quoting Muhammad Ali, but he um, he was talking about sitting with somebody at a, at a dinner or a lunch, and he watched how they treated the waiter. And he said, you know, he, that's that's if he, if he wasn't the famous fighter, that's how they would treat him. And that's how he judged people. And that's always struck me is that, you know, why, why not be kind? Why, why not be interested? And the the wonderful thing about the sport as well is that, um, you know, you go to any given ski hill, there, there might be some line cook or some, you know, some guy who washes dishes at night. And he's one of the best damn skiers on the mountain. And everybody who lives there and, you know, he or she, I should say, every, everybody who lives there is like, man, she, she could ski this line in a second. And so there, so it's, it's, it's what, you know, it's, it's, it's your passion for it. It's, it's how well you do it. It's not about, um, and it's, it's not about being best. It's just that, that you love it so much that it's all you want to do. Um, I, I, Every every time I go skiing and I haven't gone for a couple of days, I, I wonder why I do anything else. It's it's just so it's so freeing 
just to keep rambling here, uh, you know, I was, I was just explaining to a friend a couple of days ago, and I'm stealing this line, um, but you know, skiing, skiing is an imaginary friend that I, I can go ski alone. And, you know, sometimes I do, and I really enjoy it because the sport makes you feel like you've got somebody with you. Does that make sense? And, you know, back to your original question, um, you've got me thinking about how many people I never knew that I met on a chair somewhere. Um, yeah, I was covering the, um, I've been lucky enough to cover three Olympic games and I was, um, I was in Italy at this little tiny, tiny village, Salzé Dukes. And, you know, you walk out and there's a couple of rickety chairs up there. And of course, any place you stop for a pizza or a wine is the, is the best mountain lunch you ever had. And I met some other American and I, I couldn't even tell you his name right now, but he and I skied together all day. And you know, I'll never see this guy again, but I have this clear memory of spending this time with him just because that sport is, you know, you randomly hook up with someone and maybe you go a little bit further out than you would have gone if you were alone. Maybe you go try some different terrain just because you have this new buddy and you're just so both so passionate about doing this, this thing. You know, that passion for skiing, how does that work in, in writing? Do you have that same passion for writing or how is it different or similar? That's a good question too. Um, I think <laughs> I think there's the, to, to me, there's just a joy in doing it. And just, um, you know, the, I, I, in my, in my mind, when I write, I certainly have a rhythm. Like I think most people do that. You're kind of counting off the way you want certain sentences to sound together. And um, every time you go skiing, it's the same thing. You're, you're learning the whole time you're going down the mountain. And I have another friend um, who he had said to me once, he's um, he's the coach of the PSIA adaptive team, which is um, you know, the Professional Ski Instructors of America. And he's a he's a sit skier. And, you know, he he skis a sit ski like somebody somebody driving a Harley Davidson. I mean, he's just just amazing how you know how hard he can carve and, and just the terrain. He can just go flash and it looks beautiful. And he said to me once, um, he, he, he could go ski the same ski hill a hundred, the same run on a ski hill a hundred times, and each time it would be different. And I think that's similar to writing that depending on how you, what you're thinking when you sit down and start to write, you choose one sentence that might take you off in a completely different direction than you thought you were going to go when, when, you first, when you first thought you were going to write this story that you are you are discovering it as you're writing it interesting yeah what's your i guess what's your history and uh relationship with mountain gazette and your writing with that yeah um so i i was actually the uh editorial director for a year and a half and um it was a very different time for the magazine and um i was doing a lot of other print media and um some friends a couple friends that owned the magazine at the time and they um they offered to me and another friend to take it over i was i was running the editorial and the other friend was running a lot of the advertising and it really was a different animal um and i have to say that um 
we would have never imagined to do with the magazine what Mike is doing. And this was a free magazine that you could pick up across all these different states in the Rockies, which was very difficult for to sell ads because there wasn't anybody who had an ad budget that said, I'm going to try and cover these five states because you really want to cover a really distinct market and drive people to, to one thing or another, you know, like one place or another in, in one state. But the passion, the passion was the exact same. The, um, the way that people, people have always felt that this, this magazine, this, this is a place where they can tell true stories. This is not, I, I, I can't, I've never heard of somebody calling up, anybody who's worked at Mountain Gazette and pitching some sort of commercial story like this, this will help you sell more X, Y, Z. I don't think that's ever happened. It's just, it's, it's just true literature. And once again, back to your question about, about writing. Um, I think there's a lot of people who are very, very happy over the years just to have their articles published here and have the freedom to write them however they want. And I'm, I'm always fascinated to see what what's next. That, that you're going to find something here that you will not find anywhere else. And that you probably didn't think to find. Um, I think there was a story a couple issues ago about the guys, the crazy eights, which is the guys who fix up all the old Harley Davidsons. And, you know, they have these like 30, 40 year old Harley Davidsons and they go out and ride them in like snow covered trails and race each other. And I would have never imagined that culture was out there, but, but there it is. And it's thriving. And somebody got to, somebody got to share that part of their life. Definitely. Do you feel like, um, you know, that, that the idea of not being limited in your writing, is that something that you feel like you thrive in those situations as opposed to, you know, I'm assuming you've done a ton of writing over the years. So you've probably been in situations where you've had a very strict, uh, guidelines and, you know, how does, how does your creativity work? And, both of those situations and do you feel hindered in a way when you have, you know, limitations placed on you? No, um, it's, they, it all informs it. This is back to my pops. You know, I had, um, he, he had always told me to get a job at a newspaper and I, I had rebelled against that. And, you know, I was so precious about the whole thing that I thought it was you know, going to trample the flower of my prose, if you will. And of course, I got a job at a newspaper and it changed everything. And you would, I would show up every morning and my first stop would be at the police station. And I'd get the crime report from the previous day. And then I'd go back to the, go back to the newspaper office and I'd write the crime report up. And, you know, once a month, there was some poor kid waiting outside the, outside the newspaper for, for, for me saying, please don't put my name in the paper today. And I, I, I'm sorry, kid, I, I have to. And, but I would show up on these days and you, I, I had to have a story ready by three, three that afternoon. And a lot of times I didn't know what that story was and to have that deadline and to have that, um, that fast pace. And I still work in that, that realm just a little bit. I think, I think it all informs each other. I mean, I think that whatever, whatever you can do that, that, opens opens your mind that works for me i mean i, I can't speak for everybody um cormac mccarthy who um who lived in santa fe and died uh, a couple months ago who i never had the pleasure to meet but um 
I, I had a friend downtown who had a shop that he talked to him quite often. And I'm not sure if this is true or not. This is what my friend told me, but he said that Cormac never read fiction. And here's a guy who's written some of the most riveting fiction in American literature. And he he would just read nonfiction. And that that fascinated me. That 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 was enough to inspire everything that he was able to accomplish that, you know, really is an amazing achievement. What what he's what what he left us. Definitely. Well, uh, I guess what's, what are you up to these days and what does the future look like? And, you know, what uh, you got working on any cool projects and how can people reach out and check out your work? Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm very proud of the God of skiing, which is the, my, my ski novel. And that, um, it'll be the 10th anniversary of that book next year. And I, um, I didn't, I have never made it available as a digital download. You can only, you can only get it in print and, and I've always wanted to, um, I always wanted to be kind of a found object and I'm going to go, I'm going to go dovetail again for a second. Um, my, my favorite musician is a guy named Graham Parsons and he, he's long gone. Um, but he was very good friends with the Rolling Stones and, he's been credited with inventing country rock. And if you don't know him, you don't know him, but the people who, everybody who loves his music feels like they discovered it. And I wanted, I wanted to have that happen with this book, just that anybody who really liked it, just they kind of felt like it was their secret, but I'm going to make it available for digital as part of the 10th anniversary. And then, um, you know, so finally you can read it on Kindle or, you know, your iPad or whatever, what have you. But I'm really, I'm really excited that Mike's given me the opportunity to stretch out and write Ghost Hotel. And just to give you the compliment, um, you know, I've never heard anybody read my stuff before. And I sat down this weekend and it was just fascinating to hear you read it and to hear the rhythms and um, just the flow and, you know, obviously I, there's a couple of things I've changed now, now that I've heard somebody else read it, but that's what the editing process is for. Um, but it was, it was just, you know, it was just fun. And that's, and kind of going back to where you started this, this whole interview. Um, I mean, it just, you just want to share this stuff with people, right? You just, you just want to, it's, it's, we're all, we're all just trying to communicate to each other. And when, when we say, when we put these things on paper, we just hope it's going to give the same people the same experience that we had when we wrote somebody else's stuff. And um, the three things, just because I, I always say this, um, I, I like to talk in threes, but you know, when I hear people who are starting out as writers um, or I've got some friends who's, you know, their kids are going out in the world now, you know, into college and or after college. And what I learned and what I would share with anybody is, you know, write, write what you want to read and trust trust your own voice that tr trust how you like to tell stories and and more than anything you know take take chances take take some chances with your stuff why not don't don't play don't play it safe and especially with what's going on with ai right now um you know where we're going to see a lot of really similar stuff coming down the pike not not that we haven't already but you know it's your voice and it's 
it's going to be those chances that are going to set you apart. The Mountain Gazette Library is produced and hosted by me, John Bustar. For more, head over to mountaingazette.com slash subscribe today and pick up a subscription to the magazine. This podcast is executive produced by Mike Rogge, marketing by Austin Holt, produced by Connor Sedmak, social media by Amy Doran, and public relations by Ryan Rowe. No part of this podcast may be reproduced without written permission from Mountain Gazette and its parent company, Verb Cabin, LLC.